Our text today is going to be found in the Gospel of Luke again. We'll be in Luke chapter 13 right at the end of it. We'll pick up in verse 31. Luke chapter 13 and verse 31. And today we're going to look at Jesus' lament over Jerusalem. And not just it, but also the events surrounding that. And if you're familiar with the events surrounding Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, uh, what we often call the triumphal entry, mainly we look at that around Easter time, um, you might be remembering that as Jesus tops the hills, he's getting ready to go into Jerusalem. He sees the city and he begins to weep. He begins to lament over the city. And it may surprise you that as early as Luke chapter 13, we see a lament. And and actually the, the language is very, very similar. It's because there are two laments. Two times that Jesus stops and he weeps over the city, that he laments over the city. And this is the first one of those two. And so um, if you found Luke chapter 13, I know you just got to sit down, but if you found Luke 13 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 31 and read to the end of the chapter. It says, Just at that time some Pharisees approached him, saying, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you together, your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, um, the, the first thing that I want you to see in our text today is right there in verse 31, and that is the threat of Herod, or, or Herod's threat. Look again at what it says in verse 31. It says, Just at that time, some Pharisees approached him, saying, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. So Jesus is, in, is nearing the end of his earthly uh, ministry. He's deliberately making his way to Jerusalem. He's not getting in any hurry. He's, he's slowly taking his time, but he's very deliberate in what he's doing. He's not lollygagging around, not sightseeing, but he is being very deliberate. And he's in this region of Galilee. Now Jerusalem is up in Judea, and Galilee is, is Herod's territory, and Jesus is currently there. And so Pharisees come to him and say, Herod wants to kill you. Now immediately some questions are raised. Number one, why do they tell him this? And number two, who is this Herod guy? Because we read about Herod, and uh, we see that name a couple times in the Bible. Who is it that he is uh, that, that's making this threat against Christ? Well, the fact of the matter is, we don't know exactly why they said this. We do know, no matter uh, where you come down or what your theory is, they were not coming to him and telling him this out of a sincere concern for his well-being. It's not like they got together and said, you know, that Jesus fella, we, we just really need to look out for him. The, the Pharisees hated Jesus, so why were they telling him this? Well, one reason could be that they were bluffing. They could have been bluffing. They could have been trying to, to I mean, it's no secret that, that Herod was a scoundrel. I mean, he was a wicked man. He was evil to the core. And they could have been using his reputation to try and, to, to, to try and frighten Jesus, to kind of shoo him out of the area. Uh, and, and, and let's face it, if somebody was making a threat against our lives, we might say, well, maybe I, don't need to, maybe I can do my ministry over in that town, right? I mean, we'd say, well, the, the ministry is the same. It's just the location is going to be different. But Jesus didn't do that. It could have been that they were bluffing. It could have been that Herod did want to kill him, and they were just trying to keep trouble away. Now, as I said, uh, Herod was a bad, bad fella. 
I mean, he was, well, I'll, I'll explain here in just a minute. But it could have been, since this was in Herod's jurisdiction, they could have just been saying, let's get Jesus out of here so Herod and his, or, or Herod's henchmen don't come down, start going through the towns looking for Jesus, and, and have this governmental violence in our area. Now, this would have fit the character of Herod to want to get rid of Jesus. As I said before, we see the name Herod several times in the New Testament, especially the Gospels. And so what I'm getting ready to tell you, I'm going to try to explain some of the stuff about Herod. And it will, it will tie into this, but it's also going to ho- hopefully help you make sense of two or three other biblical stories, okay? And it gets convoluted. So you need to, you need to focus, put on your thinking hat, um, because it's, I saw, has anybody ever heard the song, I Am My Own Grandpa by Ray Stevens? It's kind of like that with Herod. I've seen some of the family tree stuff, and it is weird. Okay, so here, just try to stay with me. Herod the Great was the one who was in power when Jesus was born. Okay, he's the one that the Magi came and said, where's the one been born, king of the Jews? And, and the Bible says that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And then after he found out that he'd been tricked by the Magi, they didn't come back and tell him where he was and so forth. Um, he ordered the slaughter of the innocents. Okay, so that's Herod the Great. He had several wives, four of which had children who end up in the Bible. Okay, so I'm going to focus just on some of them. This is where it gets weird. I say that, you'll understand. Herod the Great had a, had a, a grandchild. Okay, let me, let me back up. Herod the Great had a son from one of the wives, and his name was Herod Philip. Okay, that name should maybe ring a bell. Herod Philip married the grandchild, one of Herod the Great's grandchildren from a different wife. Okay, so they're kin. And her name was Herodias. Again, that name should ring a bell. Now, Herod the Great had another son from a different wife whose name was Herod Antipas. That's the one in our text today. So Herod Antipas... took Herodias as a wife, even though Herodias was his niece and his brother's wife. Now, Herod Philip and Herodias had a daughter named Salome. Are some of these names kind of ringing a bell? They should, because John the Baptist, which was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist rebuked Herod Antipas for his marriage to Herodias, the husband, or the, the, the wife of his brother. Now, he arrested, Herod Antipas arrested John the Baptist because John the Baptist was calling him out for this, telling him that he shouldn't do it. One day, Herod Antipas had a birthday. Salome came in and danced. You remember the story? Please, Herod, greatly. He said, I'll give you whatever you want. So Herodias, her mom, said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. You remember all this happening? And John the Baptist was martyred by Herod Antipas. Can you imagine that family reunion? I mean, we got people married to nieces. You've taken my wife. I mean, all this weird stuff going on. And I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture of who this Herod is. And, and hopefully you understand some of the dynamics because that's the Herod that supposedly wants to take Jesus' life. Okay, he is a vile person. He's living in open sin, open 
rebellion. He comes from very poor stock. His dad has already tried to kill Jesus. His dad has already ordered the slaughter of children under two years old. This is the Herod that slaughtered or, or martyred John the Baptist. Herod Antipas, the one that's in our text, knows about Jesus. Matthew 14 records that he knows about Jesus. He, he's already knew about, known about John the Baptist because he called him out and all that. And he would have put John the Baptist to death earlier, except he was afraid of the crowd because they all recognized he was a prophet. But then he starts hearing about Jesus doing all these miraculous things. And Matthew 14 tells us that some in Herod's circle of advisors looked at that and said, you know what, that's John the Baptist risen from the dead. That's how he has all these miraculous powers. I say all that to say this. It is quite possible that Herod really did want to kill Jesus. And it may have been that the Pharisees said, this guy is off his rocker. This guy is wicked to the core. If he finds out that Jesus is here, he's going to send troops down. He's going to send people down to try and kill him. Let's get him out of the area. That is a possibility, or it could be, and, and, and I kind of lean towards this, it could be that these guys were actually coordinating with Herod. It could be a situation where the, the enemy of my enemy is what? My friend. I mean, sometimes enemies make strange bedfellows. And, and, and since getting rid of Jesus, getting him to go somewhere else, would have been what the Pharisees wanted. It also would have been what Herod wanted. They could have been teaming up. They could have been cooperating together. Herod makes the threat. He really does want to kill him. The Pharisees play nice. They say, Jesus, you know, we're just looking out for you, buddy. Herod wants to kill you. You might want to think about going somewhere else. And if that's the case, that would explain why Jesus says what he does. You tell that fox. Now, what's a, what, what does a fox, what's the picture of a fox we usually get? Well, it's sly, right? Sneaky, cunning. And so it could be that Jesus says, you know what, I know that you guys are not looking out for my best interest. You tell that fox, I ain't going anywhere. Now that's my, that's my summation of it. So we have Herod's threat. Next I want you to see Jesus' response. His response. Now we've already, he's already cut to the quick. He's identified the attitude behind it. This is not, you're not really looking out for me. You tell the fox this. But notice what he says. Look at how courageous he is, verse 32. And he said to them, go tell that fox... Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Now understand, when he talks about doing his work for you know today and tomorrow and, and the third day I reach my goal, he's not saying that he will die in three days. He's not even saying he'll be in Jerusalem in three days. He's saying that he's going to continue his work, but it's not going to be for long. It's just going to be a short time longer. In other words, you tell you go tell that fox Herod, I ain't running. I ain't scared. He can make whatever threats about me he wants. He can want to kill me all he wants. My time has not yet come. I'm going to be doing what I'm doing. I'm going to do my thing. It's not going to be for very much longer, but I'm going to be right here out in the open. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to go, into, I'm not going to go underground. I'm going to be out in the open doing cures, doing miracles. It's not going to be for long. Just cool your jets, Herod. I'm doing my thing. And look at the end of verse 32. My Bible renders that. I reach my goal. Some others render that, I finish my course. Some even render it, I'm perfected. The word that's, the, the difference, the, word, the way, the reason it's worded the way that it is is because the word that he uses is the same word that he uses on the cross when he says, it is finished. Now, it, 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 it could be they simply saying, I just have a little bit longer to work. 
I'm going to be doing these miracles for just a short time longer, and then my earthly ministry is done. And I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's all of it. Because in the broader context of Luke and, and Jesus' story as a whole, I believe what he's saying is, in a short while, I'm going to be in Jerusalem. In a short while, I'm going to die on the cross. Because a literal rendering of this in verse 32 is, today and tomorrow and the third day, I am finished. I'm finished. Not my work It's finished. I'm finished. But I think there's also a foreshadowing here because the third day, what happens? The third day, he rises again. And I, I believe there's also this foreshadowing. It's not laid out explicitly, but I think what he's saying is, the third day, my work's done. I've done everything there is to do. The, the, the resurrection is that completion of his work on the cross. So we see uh, Herod's threat. We see Jesus' response. And finally, I want you to see Jesus' lament. Now, he begins, by, uh, he begins talking about Jerusalem, and he breaks into this lament, and he recounts how God over and over and over, God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet to the people. He would sent them to Jerusalem. He would sent them to, to, to the nation. And instead of welcoming them, instead of listening to them, instead of heeding their message and changing their behavior and changing their lifestyle, the nation stoned them. They killed them. They martyred them in many different ways. And, and when he talks about doing it, when he's speaking of God sending them to Jerusalem, He's speaking especially of the rulers and the nation as a whole. Just like today, we might say, the White House did such and such. Or, uh, Washington did X. Well, Washington didn't do it. It was the rulers. It was the people there in power that did it. And that seems to be the way that he's using this. Because if you'll notice, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills your prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather who? Your children together. It's, it's those people that are under... Washington's care, so to speak. It'd be the citizens of the nation. And Jesus is saying, God has sent prophet after prophet to you, and you as the rulers are held ultimately responsible because you wouldn't let, you, you, you discourage that. You remember in, in, uh, in the triumphal entry, Jesus came in, what were the people saying? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and what the, people, what the religious leaders say? You tell them to be quiet. They were against even that. Now, notice what he says in verse 34. How often I wanted to gather your children, the people of Israel, together under my wings like a hen gathers her brood. But you, you rulers, would not have it. Now, if you've ever seen a hen gather her chicks, maybe you've maybe never had chickens, but maybe you've seen it online. If you haven't seen it online yet, just Google it. And there you can see pictures of the hens with their, with their wings out and the little brood of, of little chicks all around them. And what is that? It's, it's a picture of those, those little chickens being up close. It's a picture of tender care and protection. And that is, that is what Jesus says. He says that so often I've wanted to get you close to me. I've wanted to protect you. There's this tender care I've wanted to, to show you, but you would not let that happen. And what's significant is that this is often a picture that's used in the Old Testament of God's care for his people. Of, uh, the, the psalmist talks about coming and taking shelter under the wings of God. Not because God has feathers, it's a picture of his care. Now verse 35, because they reject Jesus as Messiah, what does it say in verse 35? Behold, your house is left to you desolate. It's abandoned. And speaking first of the temple, but, but in a broader sense of the whole nation. And notice that he calls it your house. He doesn't say my house. He doesn't say God's house. 
He doesn't, he doesn't talk about the temple. He says, your house. Just like in the Old Testament, the prophet sees a vision of God, and God leaves the temple. The glory has departed. Ichabod. God has left his house. It's just an empty building now. And just, just, just like that, Jesus is saying, not only the temple, but the whole nation, I've abandoned. Because you've rejected me, I will reject you. You'll not see me again, verse 35, until you, until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is a quotation out of Psalm 118. That's the very thing the crowds chanted whenever Jesus was coming into the city. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It points to that, but it points beyond that. One day, at the end, many in Israel will come to realize Jesus is the Messiah. They will come and they will, they will worship him. They will accept him as their savior. Now the question is, today have you accepted him as your savior? Have you accepted him as the Messiah? Do you recognize that he's the promised one? Because we can look at this and say, well, I don't know how the, 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 the Israelites could have missed it. Well, how could we have missed it? We have all the miracles recorded. We have all these teachings recorded. Many in Jesus' day rejected him despite seeing all that. And there were consequences. And if you reject Christ today, there's a consequence. That price is eternal separation from God in hell. But the Bible says that if you will repent of your sin, if you will turn to Christ in faith, that you will be saved. Once you stand with me as uh, musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to encourage you to take stock. Are you in the kingdom of God? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you even now trust Christ to save you? Our Heavenly Father, we know that you will not strive with men forever. And we know that there's a day coming for each of us and we'll stand before you. And God, I pray that you not let anybody that's hearing me today, whether here, whether it's a live stream, whether it's something that's recorded, God, I pray that none would stand before you one day not prepared God we thank you for your grace for your mercy that if we will lay down our arms if we will stop rebelling and like that prodigal son if we will turn and come back home that you will greet us with open arms 
And Lord, if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that today that you would help them to do that. God, for that person maybe who's a Christian who's far from you, Lord, we thank you for that that grace and forgiveness that if we'll turn and come back home, there's forgiveness and restoration. God, for those loved ones that we have that maybe um, they're going through stuff, we lift those people up to you as well and ask that you would do work in their lives. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.